0: Rewind 80s Mixtape Tour is coming back to the Cairns Performing Arts Centre Saturday, June 3rd. Tunes by Prince, In Excess, Queen, Wham and more. The 80s show not to be missed. Get your tickets now or check out rewind80sband.com.
1: Of your hand makes my pulse react. That it's only the thrill of me, meeting girl, my such trap. It's physical, only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more.
2: Hello there. Hey, hey, how you going, guys?
0: Oh, look, it's a sad day. Yesterday it was a sad day. Yeah,
2: sort of bit a bit of a kick in the guts. It's sort of we were kind of, kind of expecting it, but mm. still a surprise when we heard that Tina had passed away, guys.
0: So we're going to do a show to celebrate her life tonight. But before we start, I'm Sammy from the 80s Montage.
2: And I'm Jay from the 80s
0: Montage. And if John Blackman hasn't introduced us again, you know who we are. Um, Cairns, off the bat, one more week, guys. Let's get your tickets. It's looking really healthy at Cairns, but you've got one week to get your tickets and then we're flying in on Friday night.
2: We're going to do some new songs as well, which we're very excited about. Yes, we
0: have. We have. So Maddie and I have been, uh, we're doing In Excess, Burn For You, and we've been there's a loop that runs through it that Maddie's been editing up, which sounds amazing. So that's exciting. Some new songs. bit of Johnny Farnham as well. I can't wait to do Johnny again. Johnny Farnham. Well, yeah, he doesn't like Johnny. But <laughs> John Farnham. Yeah, look, let's talk about beautiful Tina. It was sad but can I tell you I think she lived a million lifetimes in this life.
2: God, yeah, absolutely. She she you was know? just such a tough chick. And I mean she she sort of um she almost sort of outgrew her time, like in, in the way that yeah. she she didn't just outgrow um I I guess the the cultural stereotype. She didn't just outgrow uh, the the gender stereotypes. She she was sort of grew outgrew everything. She she's transcended all of those kind of boundaries because mm, she was such mm. a strong strong chick.
0: She was, and also uh, a Buddhist. So she believes in reincarnation. Yeah, and she loved her. I think Buddhism was the thing that kept her alive because of the crap she went through in her early life. Like I don't think her mum was great to her either. It wasn't just the obvious Ike. It was the mum was a little bit weird, didn't really believe in her talent and everyone's seen the Tina Turner movie and it was pretty spot on in a lot of sections. But I just feel like... I reckon she's on some plane. I mean, as much as missing her husband, she would be on another plane just going, oh, I'm so happy to be here, you know. That sounds bizarre. But I guess it's
2: the, the, the sort of payoff, isn't it, with, with her mm. death is that, like, even though she had such a challenging life, she had a happy ending. She did. She, she did. You know, married, married to a man that she loved in Switzerland, which she loved. Um, she was she she was really embraced in Europe. she you know uh, as big as she ever was and she was a superstar, you know as big as she ever was in the US or Australia. She, she was ten times bigger in in Europe.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's why she became a, a Swiss citizen in I think it was 1995 when she married her husband and gave away the USA passport.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's to become right. become a
0: Swiss citizen. Because I was looking at that going, why are they calling her Swiss? Well, that's the reason why, because she became a citizen of Switzerland, which is also amazing because yeah. that's almost leaving all your roots behind because she was obviously born in… Um,
2: Brownsville. Brownsville. Brownsville,
0: Tennessee. Brownsville, that's right, yeah. Tennessee, Tennessee.
2: not That's Nutbush right. City.
0: That's exactly right. So we've got an interview coming up with Dave Letterman that explains that as well, which is awesome. But I think for me the energy this woman had with her singing and her dancing really taught me a lot as a kid. Like I remember looking at her because it wasn't choreographed movements like Madonna where she would get choreography done. It was just ad-libbing on the spot and I found that a lot more interesting. Yeah. For an artist to just be rocking the microphone and doing the dance steps and and just really powerful. She did do choreography with the two girls behind her and that was incredible, uh, the early stuff that was in black and white. I couldn't stop watching that as a kid. And it really taught me energy, if anything. And then when she got off the platform or the stage, she was quite calm and, and, and just really chilled and knew exactly what she wanted.
2: Yeah, the the the, Buddha, uh, the Buddhism thing sort of really interests me because it's like she would have grown up in Tennessee, you know, very much Southern Baptist and Baptist, um yeah. and you know, growing up in that growing up in those vibes which would have been the roots of her music as well. So mm. it would have been very deep deeply embedded in her, but it sort of I guess when she was you know searching for salvation when she, you know in really tough times you you almost have to you almost have to sort of like shed your old self in in order to transform and evolve you do. and she really did in so many ways like um she she and it's interesting because that that kind of whole reinvention thing which she sort of showed throughout her career and her life is such a fundamental part of Buddhism as well. Really interesting.
0: And not only that, not many artists were reinventing themselves internally. Yeah. So like, you know, you look at older artists now and some of them, I'm going to say Madonna, has lost the plot. So there's no internal reinvention. It's all out in front of you with what they're wearing or what they are done with their face. So Tina was a lot more spiritual in that way. I actually thought Madonna would get there at a round ray of light sort of time but she just didn't. So Tina always followed that path and just, I don't know, she just made sense and she also gave a lot of confidence to women that had been through a similar situation to just get out, you know.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it wasn't done. You know, it wasn't done in sort of previous generations where you just sort of, uh, mate, you've got to cut and leave to save yourself. You know, it's really difficult.
0: That's right. So what's love got to do with it? We opened with that because that was really the turning point in the 80s where she came back. She was Very
2: big comeback. Yeah. Big
0: comeback. She didn't like the song though. Hated the song.
2: Right. Didn't want to do it. Was Um, this a suggestion by her label?
0: Roger Davies, her manager, who was Australian, uh, which is interesting because Roger used to manage James Rain and in the movie, if you remember, the manager in the movie was played by James Rain.
2: Oh, shit, yeah, that's right. Which I
0: found really interesting. So Roger... He's also looking after Pink now, I think. Like he's gone yep. into pink territory. <laughs> and um he was an amazing manager because he talked her into doing What's Love Got to Do with it. And remember Bucks Fizz had it and they did their own version. I think
2: Yeah. Cher Cliff Richard was, originally. Cl- Click right. It was offered to him and he, he didn't he didn't want to do it. Yeah. And then Donna Summer. Yeah. I think Donna Summer sat on it for years and then and then Yeah, um, she did. Yeah, yeah. Interesting because I love it. I fucking love this song. I, do I too. remember it coming out in 84. She had previously she had done a release and I mean she had sort of begun her music career at the end of the 50s. Oh, then unbelievable. Right isn't through it? the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Right through the 60s and 70s and then like she you know she had this renaissance in the 80s which was really profound because just the way that they marketed her was really interesting. They didn't try I remember, you know, they didn't try to make out that she was like
0: 25, you know.
2: Yeah, like yeah, this young I totally hot agree. thing. Yeah. They, they were calling her the grandmother of rock and all of yeah. this. And and uh you know, she but she just looked fucking fantastic. She oh, just she had did. such an amazing energy. And she was sort of forging her identity as a soloist. She had done she had done an L Green cover the, the year before, like in 83, and then she came out with this, which I think is still her biggest selling single.
0: Yeah, it is. So oh, it was fantastic. written by Graham Lyle and Terry Britton. We've talked about it before as songs on one of the episodes where songs that you didn't, re- you didn't know that were covers and we played the Bucks Fizz one. I think we opened the show with that. That's a great episode as well. Yeah. So she was 44 years of age when she released What's Love Got To Do With It. As kids, though, I didn't care. I thought she looked amazing.
2: No, no yeah, that's right. I
0: think the world got worse as we went along, you know. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we saw Tina come through and, and the video clip was gorgeous. She had the fantastic – she'd cut all her hair, remember – and put the blonde tips in and she was just in a denim jacket and red lipstick and, you know, I think it was a little black skirt and some heels and just rocked it because she always had a banging pair of legs.
2: Oh, she did. And she had that sort of amazing because she was tiny really. She mm. had that amazing thing where um, certain wom- women, and you have this to be honest, Bubba, like a, a sort of smaller torso but long legs. And so it oh. gives that gives that illusion of, you know, being really tall and Yeah, lady.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, look, if I oh, if I'm good, I uh, look in proportion, but I can it, it's very like she was an athlete. I'm nowhere near that. I used to be when I could be fucked, but then I think about 33 I got into it and then I was okay, but you just get older and go, "Oh, fuck. You know, not doing yeah. that." You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, I'm going to play a track that I think is amazing, which is another slow one and it's the title track of the album that she brought out in the 80s. Should we have a listen to this? For sure. Here we go. Amazing!
2: There we go. Mark Knopfler from um, Dire Straits wrote that.
0: Private Dancer. Yeah. Fucking really? I am not. (laughs) Wow.
2: You can't imagine it, can you?
0: No. Well, this is the thing. She was written for in the in the eighties, but I remember thinking about this song a lot when I was fourteen because this is eighty four. And I remember thinking, fuck, is this what the industry is about? Yeah. And it pretty much is, you know. I I remember it scaring me as a kid and watching her, you know, she was like given a $2 coin by some white guy and he was dancing with her and I just felt a little bit, fuck, is this what it's about, you know. And on some level it is. You're just being a fucking glamorised hooker when you're in the music industry a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I got a bit sad about this, but I loved the song, and I thought it was incredible. And she delivers delivers it so well vocally, you know.
2: She just went from
0: strength to strength.
2: Yeah, she's she's got a beautiful lower range. Um, It just sounds like she's amazing. Traveled a million miles, and you know, she like beautiful sort sort of storytelling energy. And oh um, yeah. But then it just really soars. Like one one of the things that sort of discussed in the film with Angela Bassett is how um, everyone was sort of in a way when, at the beginning of her career really uncomfortable with the way that she sort of sung like a man, like like she would she would just like use her entire voice. You know what I mean? And it was sort of um, opera singers opera singers do that but not sort of you know singers of that time like like uh you know rock singers and stuff like that like you know a a female vocal was like more it was meant to be more proper and not as sort of I guess screamed or yelped or you know what I mean it was a really sort of raw energy that she had and many people found that threatening at the beginning of her career I, I absolutely love it
0: Yeah, well, that's right. She had a lot of masculine energy about her, which is what women loved about her. Because I remember her being interviewed where she said, women love me more than men. And that's the reason. And I found that when I was, you know, when you get tough on stage, women adore you, men run away from you, you know, except for gay men. They don't run away. They run towards you but straight men men can't fucking handle it, you know?
2: Yeah, strong men don't though. Like you you look at the sort of – you look at the men that she was, I guess, like in the 80s that she was sort of working toe-to-toe with and in the 70s, like the Stones, like like David Bowie and, you know, those people she was hanging out with – they would have loved her. They wouldn't have been threatened by her at all, you know. Oh, and
0: I'm talking about relationship-wise, not musicians oh, yeah. fucking different ball kettle of fish. Yeah. But um with women on stage being so strong, it, I mean, you fucking saw me at the spot going through men like no tomorrow, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because it was just too full on for yeah. them. Yeah. And with men though on stage, chicks just Don't care, they just throw themselves at the guys. But she did say that women found her more attractive than men did and I've heard that from Chrissy Amphlett and a lot of other female artists. So the energy that came off her was very masculine and something we hadn't seen before. You're right. So it was something that wasn't feminine but it was and then it was a mature woman. She just had everything.
2: Yeah, yeah, just um, very empowered femininity, like it was amazing. And it's funny sort of, you know, we mentioned this about relationships because like men sort of see, I don't know, men see women within a relationship as a conquest a lot of the time it's if yes. you sort of flip the roles and think of a man being a conquest of a, a woman's, that's really fucked mentality. You know what I mean? Mm, mm, and mm. and so that that whole conquest narrative is. Um, but yeah, I, I really saw it, especially like with you, um, where you know you were the like you were you were the most powerful chick in the room kind of thing, and guys would sort of get drawn to you because they thought. If we can conquer her, it's like I've conquered the alpha female and but they'd sort of get close to you and and it'd be too much. Too you know much. what I mean? It was yeah. really interesting. Really yeah. interesting.
0: It was. And you got to understand that's not just saying that this is what I do. I grew up in a time watching people like Tina Turner and a lot of artists that you had to be a triple threat. You couldn't yeah. just stand there and sing. Like a lot of people just stand there and sing. And I understood that that's what you needed to do. Yeah. That you had to get up there and entertain. It wasn't just about standing there like they do on Australian Idol or whatever you're watching and singing. I mean I like performers. I don't like – like you wouldn't say – Cindy Lauper is a beautiful voice. She's fucking incredible as a performer. And if you can see the voice in that, most people miss that though, you know, unless it sounds fucking perfect. But I don't like that, you know?
2: No, I don't either. It's boring.
0: Very boring. So I uh, love that. But someone called her the king and the queen of pop. I (laughs) wrote it. Yeah, it was an amazing comment. It was the drummer from. Oh, I don't think he drums with the TV show anymore, but I loved it. I thought it was such a great comment because she was both man and woman. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah, that's right. Yeah, incredible energy. So,
0: and we did a gig last night at the Sofitel for LG Pro, which was great. <laughs> yeah. And we had we we had we we haven't done simply the best for weeks, and I thought I'll put it in. Chicks love it, you know. And then she died, and I didn't have to put it in. And I thought, um, and it was really nice because people really celebrated her life during that song. But that's Everyone not sort my of favourite song. To the floor. Yeah, I oh, simply came in the, the dance best. Hall.
2: No, simply the best is sort of um, yeah. It's very, it's very cliche. I, I look, I, I do, I can enjoy it on some levels, but it's not. It's not Tina Turner to me, like it's almost like a it's like an ad jingle to me, you know what I mean?
0: Well, yeah, it kind of was really, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, well, you know what was amazing in the eighties in terms of her relationship with Australia because I mean I, i'm I'm not quite sure what came first in terms of uh, her relationship with Australia, if it was the manager, if it was her. Uh, getting the role in Mad Max or or what it was, but but um, you know, she forged this really unique relationship with uh rugby league in Australia, which made yeah. her massive as well. And that's where sort of simply the best uh that's right. really came in as well. But And Barnesy yeah. got
0: involved as well. So
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's if you got right.
0: Barnesy there, you pretty much going to take over, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it was because Roger Davies was Australian that he had connections. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah, yeah. But good on her for sort of realising the opportunity here and, um, you know, because she was absolutely massive in the 80s.
0: Huge. Yeah. Huge. And not only that, Australia again was breaking a lot of new music through Countdown. And that was she came out and did Countdown and she was with Molly. I mean, Molly really did a lot for the Australian and the world when it came to launching new artists because Australia would, we just love music. We've talked about this before where we will go to a concert, we'll go and see bands, but the thing we were looking at last night is our set list for Rewind 80s is starting to look a little bit, Like people that aren't on the planet anymore.
2: Yeah, we just do dead people
0: now. Yeah. And it's really horrible because we're not producing quality artists to keep up with this stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: There'll never be another Tina Turner. There'll never be another Prince. There'll never be another Madonna, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Like people. um, Oh, exactly. There'll never
2: be another Whitney Houston. You
0: know. No. Because there's no record companies and people that go out and look for these really talented people.
2: They're not going to gigs. They are are not going to gigs. This is where – and and so therefore why the fuck would you be focusing on gigging if you were an up-and-coming artist? You would just be focusing on recording. You know what I mean? And that's the
0: truth. I mean I remember – thinking that's how it worked. You yeah. went out and did a show and someone saw you and then they went, wow, we want to sign you, you know. yeah. And a lot of that did happen, I guess, like, you know, Whitney with Clive Davis, blah, blah, blah. And I just think the industry failed artists. It just they became a boys' club and you just got signed if you sucked someone's dick. It wasn't about the music, you know, or or how good you were because there'd be a lot of people in the industry that I know of that deserve that kind of credit that would be successful, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Now what's this next song we've got? I don't know this one. Oh,
0: oh, yes, you do, honey. I've just shortened it, that's all.
2: Uh, Oh, okay, all right. Oh, yeah! Yeah, I just shortened it
0: (laughs) because – because on the podcast machine you can't write the whole track, so I just yeah, you. I'm being yeah, really
2: yeah. lazy. That's all I need. No, 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 no. This, I'm excited now because I was yeah. like, oh. I right, love this, this track. Really cool.
0: Here we go. Beautiful.
2: There we go. We don't need another hero from the soundtrack of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome.
0: Mm, Beautiful delivery. If you listen to the track, it's really not that much, but when she puts her voice on it, it takes you somewhere, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right,
0: that lower bottom end rich tone midi voice was just fucking amazing.
2: Yeah, that's right. This was um this was an amazing masterstroke. It was sort of like the coming together of almost like two big legendary forces being sort of um Mel Gibson and that Mad Max character mm. and and Tina and her legacy because <clears throat> sort of she she was largely unrecognized as an actress and she did a fucking great job. She was cast as Auntie Entity which was sort of um, I guess like a, a, a like a regional dictator, but she was like kind of Grace Jones, like you know people people hadn't seen yeah. Till quite like this. She had this like chainmail dress on, and um, you know she was it was a really big character. It was really great, um, a really great sort of character exploration for her. And I think a really great vehicle for her. And it was sort of for this, for the, it changed the franchise because she did such a great job because Mad Max was always about, um, you know, the highways and the cars and, and it totally centered around Mad Max. This is where, um, this is where the franchise started becoming almost like a duality which is what they've done with Mad Max ever since with like Charlize Theron coming into the sort of recent ones and it it being a lot more balanced like that with light and dark because the i guess the chemistry be- between uh Mel and Tina was just like fucking amazing they didn't actually have that much um like screen time together, but the yeah, way yeah. that their energies balanced out the film was really phenomenal. She she did a great job. This was a really special time uh, in Australia, like nineteen eighty five. This yeah, was like a absolutely. really really lovely period for film and music and everything.
0: That's right. We started to you see our country used a lot more in that creative yeah. aspect. But the wig in this that she had, the blonde mohawk that went down her back. Was fucking gorgeous. You know, like the look was incredible. She just looked incredible. And no one questioned her age. No one gave a shit. And, you know, she defeated a lot of the shit that she went through, you know, with Ike. And it just the songs, it was like they picked the songs for her to. To help because she would drive the songs obviously with her voice But she'd also experienced a lot of this stuff Yeah And that kind of underdog, you know, we've won, you know, we're going to win, you know And um, I find that really interesting that they put her in that limelight Because a lot of artists don't like playing the It's not a victim or it's not someone that's weaker But they just don't like being vulnerable you know what I mean? Yeah and, yeah, and and I think that was just the beautiful thing about her. You know,
2: incredible sort of. I guess with this film as well, it was sort of the film and the soundtrack really, because um, they go hand in hand. It's it's Australia was really. Opening up to the rest of the world in in the eighties, this this was the beautiful period that I was talking about because Australian Australian music was really making it overseas and making its mark, and Australia, Australian films were as well. But also, Australia as a legitimate. Um, setting in terms of the thematic elements of the film as well. Like having a having a major – because this was a major Hollywood film. Even though it was made here, this was massive around the world, you know. Huge. Um Yeah. Mel was a big star there. Tina was a big star there. But for, for all intents and purposes, this was an Aussie film, you know, um, directed by George Miller and George Ogilvie um, and – um, you know, all the brilliant Australian actors like Bruce Spence and Justine Clark and Angry Anderson and, you know, Robert Grubb and, um, uh, you know, my beautiful old friend Bob Hornery and Frank Thring and you could just yeah, keep going gotcha. on and our on and favorite. on. our favourite. Our favourite. So um, there are so many people that I – um, grew up idolizing, and that I know that we're in this film, and it, it just had a real magic about it. You know, it's it's sort of this. This for me is one of the elements of the eighties that I kind of I have really like almost painful nostalgia for. It's like, oh my yeah. god, I wish I wish I could bring the essence of that back a little
0: bit. You yeah, know? well, that's yeah. true, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Well, people believed in people, you know, and and we were becoming the hot country and we had so many bands like you say overseas making it big in excess um god it was just hap- 1986 you know 1985 1986 there was just so many artists and we kind of started enjoying our own country a bit more and our bands like we yeah, said that's last right. week we didn't think oh, it was cool enough to like Aussie bands you know but it, we really started finding all right, everyone give in. We're pretty good, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Which was in you, and you felt that change. You did feel nostalgic. You felt when, even when Angry Anderson got a, a part in this movie, I thought that was pretty special because he was a muso. And he did a great job. He did. Yeah, he did a great job. Because he was rough and he was part of the, the cast, you know? And yeah. he, I don't think anyone else could have done that, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look it made us feel special. And it sort of look Australia doesn't really do um genre films very well, you know. If mm. if they are done they're they're sort of they're, they're you know C-grade D-grade, you know. Um this this was a genre film. This is like a, you know, a a, a post-apocalyptic genre film and um yeah. So so um and, and we did it really well. We did it really well.
0: Yeah, just going to change the subject. I've had a a lot of emails about 1982 with The Bullet this week, our last episode. People can't believe we did that record last week. So I'm so glad I had Jules write to me going, she's got the record. It's her favourite album. Her sister gave it to her for Christmas. I've got Karen going, that album was the best. So we're going to have to do some more compilations because you are writing in about that and I love doing that because it was a really special time of music where there were enough sort of songs that you knew and the albums are just nostalgic, you know.
2: They're a great little time capsule, those um, yeah. compilation albums, yeah.
0: So thanks for your feedback, guys, and and honestly just send in anything. We've got people writing on Spotify, you can actually – let people know what you thought of, and and also just give us a review on iTunes. That would be great. But thanks for writing in. Just to um, change the subject a bit, I did mean to say that at the top of the show. But yeah. So do you do you want to play the of, one that everyone? Was yeah, say, keep going.
2: I was going to say yeah. speaking about lovely reviews, we got a great review from that gig that we did last night. It was sort we of did. tricky for us, wasn't it? It was it was um, yeah. a little bit challenging with the venue, but um, the crowd seemed to love it.
0: Yeah. The crowd were great. The crowd were great. So venues aren't great at loading bands in and think it just happens in twenty minutes. So it was a lot of work organising the car park and stuff. But we got there, definitely got there, and they were wrapped and and stuff. But um, yeah, no Sofitel in Collins on Collins. Yeah, I haven't been there for years. It was it was nice, and we had a we did two sets. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got a great is review. It, that's the main it, thing. You know? Look,
2: it was it's always lovely to hang out, the band and it's Oh of, yeah, that's right. Um, we haven't seen was,
0: each other for so long.
2: For a while. And it was um we we've got cans coming up and it was a nice little I guess Dust the cobwebs off for that, you know, Yeah. If, if, if nothing else. But, look, yeah, beautiful to get a lovely review back from the clients. It was always good. And, you know, for everyone yeah. else, come, come and check out Rewind 80s Live, guys.
0: Yeah, and if you are a corporate company like LG Pro who are Australian and you need a band, just look at the rewind80sband.com website and you can – Contact us through that and we'll come out and do your function. Not a problem. I'm getting a few in for the end of the year, which is great. Yeah. And agents are fucking, you know these backyard agents that run shit from their fucking house? They're just shit. I had one ring me today going, yeah, how much would you want to go to Warnable?" you know? And yeah. I gave him a price. I didn't price us out of the fucking water. Yeah. Oh, you'll yeah. never get that. And I said, well, how about you get them to ring me and I'll get it? How about you get them to ring me? I said, I can't put my price down because you can't sell, mate. Right? And he just laughed. He said, he goes, How much do you want to go to Warnable, which is three hours away, right? I don't mind travelling at all, but it's three hours and petrol prices are fucking not cheap, you know?
2: Mate, you've got to factor it in.
0: Exactly. So I gave him a price, which was fucking not that bad. And he went, Oh, you'll never get that. And I'm like, Well, why do you even ask? You know? yeah
2: it's like well okay you're not going to get us to warnable it's as cheap it's as simple I don't want to do you know? I don't
0: want to go mate you know but but what We've do you owe them?
2: you're not going to rip yourself off to to just you know where well, you can make that money in Melbourne if you exactly. want us down there that's, that's how exactly much it is right. mate you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're
0: just not fucking, I mean, yeah, I do like love s-
2: Warrnambool. I've played there heaps um, yeah. in the past. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a great, it's a great area um, yeah. and um, yeah, it's just difficult. It's difficult with the wide open spaces, you know, and it's it's hard for us because like sometimes it becomes almost easier to get a flight to another state than it is yeah. to sort of drive it out. Is. Yeah. Three
0: and a half hours. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely is because uh, I guess you don't have to drive three and a half hours. You get on a plane and sit on your ass and eat plain food and then get off, you know? Yeah. Mm. Now we better play the track that everyone loves, Simply the Best. That's right. And this has been her legacy track but – um, I think what's love got to do with it is more of a ironically
2: it's not simply the best, you know? That's what we're basically saying. No,
0: it's not simply the best. I think you know, yeah, we do it, but it's I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan, to be honest and with you. Know, you and you it, know
2: it it's actually um was this um was this actually a cover? Was
0: simply possibly. the best a cover? Possibly, I don't know. I when I heard it, I liked the video, but I just didn't think it was anything special at all. Yeah. Which everyone's gonna disagree with, but that's cool. But I just I don't follow songs that everyone like that chick that wanted Jesse's girl and I told her, Oh yeah, shut up, we'll do it, you know. <laughs> I love I like Jesse's girl, but I don't need you to remind me to fucking play it because we do it anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. But Jesse's Girl doesn't, you know, a lot of bands think they're cool and they go, like, fucking dude, 600,000 versions of Jesse's Girl. It's like, mate,
2: you're yeah. not making
0: any, fu- you're not getting enough gigs if you think you can get away with that.
2: Yeah. You know, now you know what? This was a cover. So Bonnie Tyler released it first. Wow. In 1988. Um, wow. And it did okay, but Tina released it the following year. And it just exploded. Yeah, it it exploded in 1989. This was a really big period as well and this is sort of like linked up with the sort of NRL, the Rugby League campaign. Um, That's right, yeah. And it was huge for her here.
0: All right, let's have a listen to this baby. Baby. I think it is. Other what? cover bands have ruined it for me. Oh, yeah. I just fucking could not stand it. Because there's nothing watching. to
2: the song. There's no, It's just her voice. Mm. Like the, the thing about this song that makes it amazing is just her voice. There's mm. nothing to the song. It's very, very simple, which is why it has lent itself so well to ad campaigns.
0: Mm. That's right. But yeah. um, I –
2: can you remember the? Can you remember the big? Because this was massive for me growing up in Queensland. The it was sort of around eighty nine, ninety, and the way that NRL really took it on. Because um, she was doing their campaign already with um, "What you get is what you see." And oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It was like, can you remember the ABBA campaign for that? And like, she's she's yeah. running down the beach, passing the football with the players, and they're in their bloody budgie smugglers, and they all knock her down on the beach, and they all have sex with her. Can you remember that? No?
0: Yeah, you, you know, I don't think we got it in Victoria as much because yeah. we didn't do NRL. So you would have got it in Cairns uh, for sure.
2: And, and New South Wales as well. That's it would have right. Been but I, yeah. I think
0: we were more well, VFL in these years.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And
0: uh I don't think it really took off here in Victoria that whole NRL promotion. I think they just didn't worry about it, you know. Yeah.
2: It's it's funny because these were the years when um Australia really started linking up, like the states, you know, there w- did there was becoming a really big sense of nationalism, like Australia was becoming um a, a country like a nation rather than like a group of states and um you know it it's sort of it really it happens sort of around the bicentennial and beyond but but um yeah if i mean if you were living in new south wales or queensland all you knew was rugby league That's and right. sort of you knew you knew of vfl You definitely did, but it was like basketball, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, Mm. I know it's there, but it's like not – it's not what I wake up to and go to sleep to, you know, which was rugby league in in those states, but – yeah, this was huge. This campaign was huge, and she did, as you say, she was invited down here to play the the premiership. She did like the halftime show, which was massive. Mm. Um, and I I still firmly believe that NRL do do the better halftime shows over over. Um,
0: oh yeah, yeah AFL. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. AFL sort of getting it right but not as consistently. But um, then the following year, I think it was 91, Tina released um, the Greatest Hits album which was called Simply
0: the Best. Yeah, well, that's what's done it. You're right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then um, she released uh, the duet with Barnsey. I think in that same year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to play a commercial because I found this commercial and I'd forgotten all about it, to be honest with you, but interesting commercial. Here we go.
2: There we go. She really was pioneering that female rock voice, wasn't she? You know, oh, like yeah. it, it was massive in the it was massive in the 70s and 80s, but it's like Tina was already doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well,
0: well this is the interesting thing. And this is when products used to sponsor big tours. So Pepsi from 1985 to 1991 sponsored Tina's concerts. So they did the private dancer tour in 85, break every rule tour in 87, 88, and then the foreign affair tour in 1990. I don't care how much money. Yeah, the foreign affair tour.
2: That was a farewell tour. That was meant to be a farewell tour. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, foreign. It was like it was called Foreign Affair, the farewell tour. It was meant to be her big.
0: Are you kidding?
2: Yeah, 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 that was it. But she went for years after.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes, she did. She did. And um, basically, I think you'd need, even if Pepsi sponsored me for fucking anything, I still wouldn't drink the shit. I don't even know how they afford this. Like, who the fuck drinks Pepsi? You know, I don't like
2: I had, it. I had one today and I nearly oh, vomited.
0: Oh, okay, good on you.
2: No, I nearly vomited.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. But yeah. I needed
2: a cold drink and I said to Mickey, oh, you've got, um, you know, because I don't drink full strength fucking Coke or Pepsi or whatever. I can't stand the sugar. Um, yeah. I said to Mickey, have you got Coke Zero in your fridge? He said, no, I've got Pepsi Max. I was like, oh, <sighs> fuck. I was like, you're Pepsi fucking serious. Max. Yeah, it was like, just fucking poison me now. Anyway, I still went went and had one but it was just like, Jesus, what's this? Like if you can't tell the difference, it's always like, you know, how can you tell the difference between Pepsi and Coke? There's like a marked difference between Pepsi and Coke. Huge difference. Um,
0: And they had a guy at the – I think I've brought this up before at the train station at Flinders Street and I was so thirsty one day and they had this Pepsi promotion and they were like, all right, so we're going to put Pepsi and Coke next to each other and we want you to – and they put three plastic (laughs) cups. We we want you to tell us which one's Pepsi and I just went, that's fucking Pepsi. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's amazing. I said, no, it's not. It tastes like shit but I'm so thirsty. (laughs) Can I have my free Pepsi? You know, because they were giving away free Pepsi's. It just tastes like fucking fake sugar or something. I don't know Mate, what it, it is. And it it's tastes horrible. Like
2: fuck, I'm I'm not joking. It tastes like fucking dishwater with, with <laughs> detergent in it. It's so yeah. gross.
0: So bad. <clears throat> I hope she I mean, she wouldn't have been drinking it. When I did um because years ago I did um when I was like 17, 18. What well, it would have been 18, I did the MC Hammer press conference so we did dancing for MC Hammer yeah. and uh they were sponsored by Pepsi so we had to fucking drink it at this press conference because yeah, he was fully sponsored by Pepsi and you're it a was street kid shit ass. And you would have
2: drunk anything
0: That's right I was a street kid that's when they <laughs> called us a street kid on the news and my mum was mortified
2: <laughs> And I was like
0: mum they can call me whatever they want The issue is I've just been on TV, you know, it was exciting for me. Yeah. Oh, the street kids of Melbourne have done the MC because we did pray or something.
2: Look out, even the street kids are coming out of the alleys.
0: That's right. It was so Uh shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had to drink it at this press conference and I, because you dance, you drink, you need to drink. So they wouldn't even give you water. They had to give you Pepsi. And I remember thinking... Fuck, how do they make the money? There's got to be something bigger behind this, like mafia or something, you know?
2: Yeah, well I bet that's not all you drank. Let let's um yeah. have we got a have we got a David Letterman interview? I really want to
0: yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just thought, look, she I just wanted to go back to what she was like being interviewed because she's so intelligent and just really I don't know, just really calm, very confident woman, really confident. And this is the interview she did with David Letterman. So David Letterman brought her on and he brought out this, I think it was the Tina Turner tuna maker or something. And it was a tuna salad maker and it was sort of funny but it wasn't really, you know, it was a bit shit. But this is the next part of the interview. Here we go.
2: To that's have around. nice. It's wonderful. Uh, I can travel with it. Too. Yeah. Now, wh- wh- where exactly are you from?
1: Born. That's what I mean. Born. Tennessee, Brownsville. Brownsville, Tennessee. Yes.
2: Not a not a smaller place.
1: Well, Nutbush. Nutbush. Uh, where
2: Nutbush. is Nutbush?
1: Nutbush is a community is is a community in Brownsville, and that's it's a
2: section of Brownsville. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, not really. It's between towns. Like there's Ripley and there's Brownsville. Brownsville, and Nutbush is a little community between. Those two I towns. See. Yeah. Memphis is closer to to either of the towns.
2: I see. It. Do you ever go back there?
1: I've been back once. Yeah. Just once.
2: Are you a big deal there?
1: Well, it's just a community. It's just a couple of stores and community houses. There's not. There's nothing to go back to really. You know?
2: I see. I see. It's <laughs> not a
1: town, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Paul was playing uh, a little bit of River Deep here, uh, which you recorded. Um, when was that?
1: 1966 with yeah. Phil, Phil Spector.
2: Phil Spector. Now, what was that like? Because you know, Paul just finished a, a show downtown about Ellie uh, Greenwich, ah. and uh, who, who wrote
1: the song. And right. what was it like working with Phil Spector? Well, it was my first time working with a producer, because I had done basically, you know, all my productions. And um, the first day was the the fun part. Was the first day was living in this like a mansion.
2: Where is this? Here on this the east. This is Eastern, in Beverly Hills. Uh-huh, out west.
1: And I. I went into, uh, there was a the buzzer to let me in, and there was a, a mockingbird that said, hello, and I like, uh, and I went in a set. A mockingbird, an actual bird? Yes, yeah. he, just, he just sort of greeted me. And after sitting there for about maybe about 10 minutes, here comes Phil down the steps. There was no one in the house. It was real strange. And immediately he went to the piano and started playing. And and there was no conversation. It was real strange for the first three days. Uh-huh. Just ch- checking for keys. And then finally, I you mean,
2: you'd go there and watch Phil play the piano, and that was b- no.
1: He was just getting keys. There was no conversation of hello and you know just, yeah. just I was totally uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, I was a bit afraid because there was no one in this huge well, house. Well, the, the bird. That's probably what the bird. the bird is for. <laughs> don't right. talk to Phil. You talk, I to, don't the bird. talk to the bird. No, right. well. Then after that, then we started working on the song, "The Mountain's High." And he didn't want me to improvise at all. He just wanted just the melody, uh-huh. which was great for me for the first time because I had never, I'd always been ad-libbing and delivering and screaming. It was finally yeah. the first song that I got to just sing, and uh, it was an experience. It was.
0: There you go.
2: There you go. I love, I love listening to that because she sort of. She's so strong within that interview, and she sort yeah. of. Dave, Dave tries to sort of. I don't know. I, I, I really uncomfortable with Dave, Dave Letterman from that from the eighties. Yeah, um, he's very uncomfortable. Re, really quite misogynistic, like with his female yes. guests. You know. Oh, that? totally. Um, and she, she d- is not taking it from him. She sort of corrects him and puts him in his his place, and
0: mm. I, I really love it.
2: I, I love it. Oh, do yeah. you just watch
0: him play piano, do you? And he's like, she's like, no, he's working out keys, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he wouldn't understand that. And he's looking for a funny break and she well, wasn't giving him the funny break, you know.
2: He's looking for the sort of tits and ass element of having a female guest on there and it's like, mm. well, yeah, there's there's a lot more to her than that, you fuckhead, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, that's right.
2: Mm. But cute
0: though, like she was very good being interviewed and – And obviously she was uh, really close to David Bowie and incredible artists, you know, the Rolling Stones. I saw um, one of the Stones put up something about Tina Turner. So everyone's really heartbroken about this. But what a legacy to leave. If you, I think with her life she really did it all and there wasn't much left really, was there?
2: Yeah, no, that's right. She sort of it, it it's amazing because she sort of she she found herself through becoming um like a s- singer and dancer, you know what I mean? Like she that's found right. she almost found salvation and found freedom through w- the hard work that she did as a singer and dancer and um she was able to yeah, she was able to free herself from, from so many things and it just sort of, she would have seen the world, you know, like she, she would have seen the world as a singer and dancer and then just thought to herself like, no, what do I, what do I actually want to do with my life? Like, you know, um, she was just such an evolved soul and um, I, th- I think it would have been really incredible getting to know her in the later stages of her life.
0: Yeah, I also think that she was quite tortured by her own career when Ike was in it as well. Yeah. I think she was because of the abuse, she almost went off performing because it reminded her of the abuse she copped with Ike. Yeah. So yeah. and again, you've got to get over that fear. Yeah. Even though you're really good at doing it, you've had this abusive relationship with this guy that's just hammered you down for how many long years that you don't want to know about that part of yourself anymore. So I think a lot of the work with the Buddhism stuff would have been to get connected back to that talent because there are a lot of women and I've seen this and men and men that will partner with people that are fucking shit house. Like not great musos. I mean Ike was all right, whatever, yeah? Yeah. But they're just not great people. They're not great musos because they don't have the self-esteem within themselves to think I don't need this fuckwit. Yeah. I actually think I'm someone else and better with this person. And I think that's a really bad trap to get into. So then when you get out of that, you've actually got to become really confident within yourself again and get up there. And I've seen a lot of male Artists and performers, their wives or their girlfriends beat them down and call them shit and whatever. Mm. It takes another person to get you feeling good about themselves. So I think that Buddhism was really important to her music industry and her as a performer, you know. Yeah. I think she was very wounded by those years and I don't think it was that hard for her to give it up. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, that's right. As soon as
0: she got too old... Was not interested in it anymore, you know.
2: No, that's right. Yeah. Not, not sort of, um, not wanting to be put under that kind of scrutiny. She would have been really bored with like fuckwit promotion as well, I imagine. Um, it would have just been rubbish to her. She would, she just would have, would, wouldn't have wanted to do it again.
0: Yeah. I, I just, oh, uh, look, she, she, To get into the 80s, I think she did so much work on herself because you almost want to give something up if you don't have great memories to go by, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Anne May Bullock, November 26, 1939. And obviously she died May the 24th, 2023. We've had a few people die this month, which isn't a good thing. And her biggest biggest single, I think, would have been What's Love Got to Do with It? She's a Sagittarian. She had an MC in Taurus. Taurus is all about the throat, so that's where she was heading, all about the voice. Um very Leo. She her ascendant is in Leo, and an ascendant is how people perceive you before they know who you are. So the big mane of hair is very Leo. Everything before you meet her, uh she's a big like a, she looks like a lion she looks like a leo and she's yeah. she's out there you know and yeah, her mars so. was in leo so that's how she went out into the world so she when you see her on stage there was a total different energy on stage to when you would probably sit down with her with the moon in gemini she'd just probably like to talk about different situations in life and she would be a really big talker you
2: know yeah
0: yeah and a jupiter is in taurus and jupiter is all about Ah, that's interesting. Jupiter's in Taurus now. That's very interesting. So she, her Jupiter was um, coming back into full circle, which is really interesting. Jupiter is how you make your money, what you love about the world, You your food. She would have loved food, singing, blah, blah, blah. So uh, she was full of Taurian and, and Leo energy, which you do yeah. see if you look at it. Oh, 100%. Thing.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. And I think she would
0: have been an amazing mother and I think when her son died I think that would have been really tough on her as well.
2: Oh, yeah. God, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. So we just wanted to touch on a few things.
2: It was interesting, interesting that 80s period for her because it was sort of um, obviously she had had decades of her career either side but um, the 80s was just like when everybody like really, really appreciated her and she just did some phenomenal things and really sort of cemented her legendary status.
0: Yeah, if you have a look at that Pepsi commercial – the amount of extras in that commercial, it's almost like a concert where they come out and a little mate on the fucking saxophones there, these little sexy freaking, you know, yep. guy, what's his name? He's in the video. God, he's camp, isn't he? He's just <laughs> too much for me. I can't do him. Anyway, yep. he's swinging around his sax and he's in the video and they've got a big logo of Pepsi on the stage and then she comes out and sings the ad and the ad, would have cost them a fortune. It's just full of people at this concert and the concert's fully rigged up. But You know, you're looking at times now where you couldn't CGI anything. Yeah. And uh, Pepsi, it was interesting because I don't think people sponsor concerts as much anymore. I think it's more I don't hear of it that much, you know. You've not really got to go out and do it yourself.
2: Yeah, not a particularly good investment. You know, it's it's um, that there are a lot of expenses. But oh um,
0: god, yeah, they won't even take the risk anymore.
2: Yeah, no you way. Know. Yeah, I yeah. think
0: Pepsi needed her more than she needed Pepsi. She would have made yeah. money at that those gigs. I think that would have been a deal. I'd love to know how much she was paid for her Pepsi commercial.
2: Yeah, interesting. But I didn't
0: really look it up. But yeah, interesting.
2: There you go. Well, there's our episode, everyone. Tina Turner, valet, you know, amazing career and amazing life, inspiring, inspiring to so many singers around the world. Um, African American, you know, any any singers around the world, but um, incredible legacy and and uh, you know, beautiful memories that that Tina was involved with her music. So um, play them all this weekend, guys. Tina Turner, you know. Um, River Deep, Mountain High, Proud Mary, Nutbush, whatever you want to do, you know, play them loud. Get amongst it.
0: That's right. And uh, I'm just going to mention pseudo-echo dates if I can just for people that are coming to pseudo-echo dates because they're amazing and you can come and see Nutbush done by pseudo-echo which is going to take on a lot more meaning now, isn't it? Like people are going to really enjoy that. You know, yeah, and they enjoy right. it anyway. But it's going to take on such a big thing. But I'll just play the ad for the guys, the pseudo kids, that the echoes. Pseudo Echo Tour Dates. Sydney, you're up next. Saturday the 17th of June, Metro Theatre in Sydney. Friday the 4th of August, Wenduri Performing Arts Centre Ballarat. Saturday the 5th of August, West Gippsland Arts Centre Warrigal. Friday the 25th of August, The Gov in Adelaide. Are you listening, echoes? Get your Pseudo Echo information and show dates at pseudoecho.net. See you soon. Woo! All right, so Beautiful there you go. There are the latest dates. Um, now we are doing more well in Gippsland with Rewind Eighties on the eighth of July. Get your tickets. It's at an Italian restaurant, believe it or not, but it's had bands there before, and and we're taking our own production in, so it should be really special. And that's near, and that's in Gippsland, so that'll be cool. And then Albury's selling really well as well, which is the eighteenth of August. It's a little while away, but that's selling really well in Albury, which is the S, S and A. And you can find any dates you want for Rewind 80s on rewind80sband.com
2: beautiful guys one more date that's very important today's dates national sorry day here in australia where we remember the stolen generation and we look forward to reconciliation week where we sort of look back at past wrongs and move together as an awesome nation together in australia it's a very important date if you don't know people overseas very very special to us and um guys thank you for um thank you for all the me- i've I've received a lot of messages this week from people that listen to the show and they've heard me sort of talk about um different things related to this over the years and it was really nice i got one or uh, you know a couple of messages from from um long-term listeners which was really beautiful um didn't really expect it today i i sort of led a, at i'm a teacher as you may know and i led a um I led an event where there were like 2000 people doing a reconciliation walk and it was really exciting. So, yeah, good on you guys. Thank you. But how um, many
0: hours did that go for today, babe? Uh
2: not not a lot of hours, but it was just the sort of like doing like it didn't it didn't go for too long. I didn't overcommit myself, but like really sort of Wrangling 2,000 people is a, a massive yeah. deal. And, and when you when you see them all in one room, it's just like, yeah. oh, my God, I hope this works out. But it did. It was really beautiful right. and, and really positive. So, yeah, that's awesome. So um, special shout-out to all our Indigenous listeners, guys, all around Australia. So good on you guys. And all our listeners around the world, all our subscribers, our Patreons, of course. Please, guys, like, share, rate and review. Give us five stars and write us a little message in the comments. It's the best way of pushing this show up the charts and hopefully this week we'll chart again here in Australia.
0: Now, can I just say on that subject, Australia is now our highest listener average. Aussies Fantastic. are back. Oh, Aussies, Aussies are, are back. And American is not second. Guess who's second? UK. Nut. Where? Singapore. Hey, Singapore,
2: what's going on there? I don't know. I love Singapore.
0: Yeah, well, it's Australia, Singapore, then the USA.
2: Wow, that's amazing.
0: Incredible. It's just recently changed. So, Aussies, you're amazing for listening to us and and if you want to Patreon us, is that which it's probably not the right language, but it's patreon.com forward slash the eighties montage podcast. You can, you know, give us a tip or to keep the lights on, which is awesome. And if you enjoy the show, sponsor us. We sponsor a couple. Maddie sponsors a lot of pay um a lot of podcasts. He does uh, do go on and he also does the Little Dum Dum Club. He sponsors those two and and uh but yeah, good on you guys. I I'm so I'm so hoping you Look, we didn't really plan this episode much but we've just, I don't know, we've just had a look at some songs and talked about Tina. Yeah. But uh, such a shame, you know, we're running out of these amazing artists and we don't have the uh, industry to keep people going. No, that's right. At that level
2: anymore so get out and see a gig i'm going to a gig tomorrow night at the night going Going to the night cat it's sort of uh like a um like a big band hip-hop r&b kind of thing i really it's been a while since i've seen a band live apart from sort of us gigging and i I really want to sort of look at a different genre and something with a bit of a bigger band where there's a you know a few more instruments and like some horns and you know stuff stuff like that and I, i love the night Cat, I haven't been there for years. For, fuck, I'd have to say for about 20 years. So um, yeah. I'm going to go go tomorrow night and take Mika.
0: What is the name of the band? I can't even
2: remember to tell you but I will be there oh. at the Night Cat if you want to come down and say hello, everyone.
0: I think we're going to see the John Farnham movie. Oh, great. That'll be fantastic. We're going to see Farnsey. Yeah. yeah. So... I think we've already booked tickets so we could go after it. I don't know, you know. Oh,
1: beautiful. After but
0: we are, I'm, I've just got to do some stuff for cans and organise all that and make sure that all the video clips and stuff are organised and just so that everyone knows what they're doing front of house and stuff. But, yeah, cans, get your tickets, guys. You're doing so well and there is still more room and we want to fill that second level. That would rock my world. If we could fill that second tier, that would be incredible.
2: Oh, wouldn't it? It'd be amazing. It's a beautiful venue and like, you know, great to see it full, of yeah.
0: course. Cairns Performing Arts Centre, absolutely. It's beautiful. Mm,
2: be nice to sort of get, get up there in the heat again. Very exciting. Um, yeah. The gig I am going to tomorrow night is called Relax With Max, if anybody is interested. it's at Relax the
0: night- With Max?
2: Yeah, the, at the Night Cat um, tickets are only fifteen. I think bucks, he owns guys. the venue,
0: dude. He owns the venue. Relax, oh, Max owns the venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. He, well, he did last time when I. Yeah, relax with Max have been around for fucking eighty years.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like a ten-piece band. Um, they are they are from Melbourne, but yeah, they've been around for, since the eighties.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they used to do the ESPY. So there's a. The, I don't know if Ben, my friend Ben, plays saxophone in that. If he's oh, yeah, still right. in the band, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're James Brown cover band.
2: Yeah, yeah, great.
0: Yeah, I think they're still James Brown. Yeah, they were huge in the eighties and the nineties. Like you'd go to the ESP to see Relax with Max. Yeah. Interesting, and I think he brought the venue. They made a lot of money. That band man, they were one of the. Really highly paid cover bands because yeah. it was the first one to sort of do it. The yeah. whole James Brown thing,
2: yeah, yeah. No, I can't wait. Uh, I'm really looking forward to well, it. Well, I'll so. love to
0: hear about that. That's that's very 80s and 90s. Yeah, thing I know. Is that, that. I was
2: I was pumped when I saw it, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Yeah, that'll be fun. I'll go to that. <laughs> Yeah Yeah, God, yeah.
0: good old Max
2: Yeah Jesus Well, there we go Nice one, guys Thank mm. you very much Enjoy your weekend We will see you next week Not sure what we're Absolutely. doing But it'll be awesome And if it's music mateys
0: Well, cool shit from the 80s
2: We're going to talk about it
0: Unreal